The four seasons represent the passing of time and that my maternal family, my grandparents, my five uncles, my two aunties, and my mother were all held at the Heart Mountain, Wyoming internment camp during World War II for almost three years. And I had wanted to create art that told their story because one thing you'll realize if you ever speak to anyone who was interned during that time is that most of them never want to talk about it. They just don't want to dwell on it. They don't want to tell you details or share their stories. But I feel their stories are important, not for what would be the most obvious reason. And the catalyst for the conception of these pieces was 9-11. A friend and I watched the second plane hit the second tower a few hours later. They turned to me and were upset. I think we were all upset. But they said that they felt the government should just round up all those people and put them in a camp in the desert. And that felt like someone just knocked the wind out of me. And I said to them, this was a friend, this wasn't a stranger or someone to argue with on social media. This is someone I knew really well, a dear friend, an intelligent friend. And I said, you realize that what you just described is what happened to my family during World War II. And their response was, well, it was for their own protection. It was for their own good to keep them safe. And that was painful to hear someone say that to me about my family when I knew that wasn't true. And though I didn't make an issue of it that day, it stuck with me. It, it was kind of like a thorn just caught in, under my skin. And I began having pictures in my head of how could I talk about this through art? And I sat down one day shortly after that and started making a strand of miniature barbed wire. And I thought, I wonder if I could make tiny barbed wire and wrap a tiny yellow crane in it to symbolize what the internment was about in that sense that people were being put away based on the color of their skin. Not on anything they had done wrong. They weren't even accused of doing anything individually. It was just this collective blame based on fear and other reasons that I won't go into at this moment. That could be another podcast entirely. But for whatever reason, my family, along with the numbers aren't certain, but approximately 150,000 other Japanese Americans and resident aliens were forced to give up their homes, their businesses, and be relocated to what were called internment camps. And the thing that I really wanted the artwork to convey was not the politics of the time, but just their stories and how it came down through my generation in a way that allowed me to be who I am. And that's something I never appreciated until I was older. I mean, much, much older 
and you don't think about those things when you're a kid or even when you're in your 20s or your 30s at least I didn't um, it, it took me until I was in my 40s and 50s to, to really begin to appreciate the gift I was given and what that gift is is that despite being held in these camps despite pretty much losing everything they had you know all the material things they had my family came out of that experience without any measurable amount of anger or hatred or prejudice of their own against the people who had taken everything away from them and put them there. And one day I learned about this beautiful Japanese technique of mending broken pottery called kintsugi. And in kintsugi, if a favorite cup or dish or bowl were to be broken made out of pottery, it could be sent to an artisan and the broken pieces were put back together using real gold dust mixed with lacquer or resin. And the craftsman would put the pieces back together. And the idea was, instead of hiding the damage, they would highlight it. And their belief was, having been damaged and mended with kintsugi, the item was now both more beautiful and more interesting than before it was damaged and broken. And when I heard of this technique, I just thought that's a beautiful metaphor for people. Just like the broken cup or bowl, when we are damaged, which assuredly we will all be damaged, it's just part of the human condition, different ways at different times, but I, I really don't believe anyone goes through life without feeling heartbreak, without suffering injustice at some point, some far greater than others, but it's just part of the human condition. And I thought that's the metaphor, that just like that cup, we have an opportunity to take life's hardships and be broken by them and stay broken or become cynical or bitter or angry or like the cup, we can mend in a way that makes us more beautiful. We can heal in a way that makes us more interesting and makes our lives better than they were before the damage that broke us. And I wanted to convey them in a mobile by running gold fracture lines through the hanging cranes. And that was the inspiration for the Kintsugi mobile. I then wanted to depict where that left my family. You know, they, they, were, they lost everything. They went in the camp. They came out. Many people faced more prejudice when they came out of the camps than before they even went in. And I am to this day amazed at how no one in my family ever, I've never heard anyone, and I never heard anyone utter a single racist thought or word because of what they had endured. And they just loved people. My, all of my uncles, my aunties, my mom, my grandma, my grandfather had passed away before I was born. But all of them just loved people. They were kind to people. They treated everybody with respect. And so did my dad, who also suffered great indignities and racism after the Korean War, which could also be another podcast because he was an MIA POW who survived a North Korean prison camp 
that 1,500 of his comrades did not survive um, being basically starved and malnourished and not cared for. But he survived, and he came back to the United States and faced horrible racism, both in Hawaii, where he was born and raised, and even in Washington State, where he immigrated to after he left Hawaii because he was so unhappy there. So despite that, both of my parents raised me to always treat people with respect and kindness. And one day I realized if they had become angry and had become prejudiced against other people based on their ethnicity for perpetuating racism on them, then I very likely would have been a completely different person than I am. But because they didn't do that, I get to be someone I like to be and someone who they set me on the right course to being a good person and a person who could appreciate the good things in life, the good moments, the positive things, and endure and rise above the negative things that happen. I think anger is what I personally call a transitory emotion. It's something like shame that we will all experience, but it should be transitory. It, it should be fleeting. It's like something happens, you're angry, you react. But then you move on from that. Not everybody moves on. Some people hold that anger. They clutch it and it becomes part of who they are. And the person they hurt most, I think, is themselves because when you hold on to anger you can't experience joy i i just i've said it before i think they're incompatible it's one or the other and if you can experience injustice it's never pleasant no matter how small or large the injustice may be but if you can experience it and move on from it and I don't pretend to know what that means as far as any particular given situation. But in general, moving on would mean that you don't carry the anger further into your future than is necessary to feel it, think about it, express it if needed, and then really, I know it sounds simple, but let it go. Because when you hold it, it changes who you are. And if you're a parent, it very likely is going to change who your children are. So I took these pieces to two different art events in 2017. The framed pieces came first in February, I believe, at an event in downtown Grand Rapids. And I was able to speak to people about the pieces, what they symbolized, and many of them had seen my art at Art Prize, the Mobiles, in previous years and encouraged me, I should do more. I should do more with this idea, with this theme. And so that fall, I took these three Mobiles, The Injustice, Kintsugi, and Filled with Love, and I went to Art Prize. And every day for 19 days, I sat there at the Grand Central Market in Delhi, and folding cranes, giving them away to Art Prize visitors, and demonstrating how I fold, because people always want to see that. 
but answering questions and sharing the story that I just shared with you. Although it was usually a much longer version there because people just like to linger and, and want to know more. So I would share this story with them. And I want to tell you about two people in particular. One was very young. She looked like she was a teenager. I would guess about 14 or 15. She was there with two friends and they came into the, the market and approached me and I was folding them cranes and telling them about the pieces. And one of the girls did that thing, you know, where you take your hands and you clasp both of your hands over your heart at the same time. And she said, oh my gosh, I didn't realize by coming to Art Prize that I was going to feel feelings. <laughs> and she was just a little overcome. And her reaction made me feel the same way. Like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize creating art could make people feel feelings <laughs> to that level. And really, I should have had a box of Kleenex that year because I made a lot of people cry. Um, not meaning to, but a lot of people just became emotional hearing about what my, my mom and her family and what my dad had gone through. And then another man came in with his wife, and he was older. I would guess he was in his 70s. And he listened to me telling this story to a group of people. And afterwards, he stayed, and very kindly, he said to me, you know, I've lived in Michigan. I've lived in this part of Michigan my entire life, and I've never seen any racism. And I said, well, it probably has happened but not overtly, because even when I lived in California, there are just times when you know racism is being, or discrimination is being, um, I don't want to say used against you, but has reared itself in your presence, might be the best way to put it. Um, and he was Caucasian, and I obviously am Japanese American, and so our experiences are different. And so I said to him, there are times when I can go into a store, and it's happened here, it's happened in California where I used to live for almost three decades, and I'll walk in a store, and it'll be a small business, and the shopkeeper will be right there, and they see me walk in, and they don't say anything, and I don't think anything of it. And as I walk around in their store, and other people come in, that's when I notice that they have now greeted every person who came in after me. Hi, how are you today? And they've gone up to those people and say, are you finding what you're looking for? But me, nothing, no greeting, no offer of assistance. And when I walk out, they don't look up. Even though I've watched other people walk out ahead of me and they thank them for stopping. And I said, that's a subtle form of what's I can only assume racism. But it happens not every time I go out, maybe not even every month, but it'll happen at least a few times a year. And he was thoughtful for a moment, and he said, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. There was a day when I was working in my yard, so I was wearing really grubby clothes, and I had wanted to go to the camera store to buy a piece of photography equipment. And I didn't have time to change and clean up. So I went to the photography store 
wearing my dirty yard clothes. And no one offered to help me. And I bought things at the store before, but no one offered to help me. And I stood there and watched as other customers came in behind me and they were greeted and they were offered assistance. And he said, I think that's what you mean. And I said, that's exactly what I mean. The only difference is you have the option of going home, taking a shower and changing your clothes and receiving better service. Whereas obviously an ethnic minority doesn't have that option. So these things happen. You can get angry, you can be bitter about it, or I can only look at people in that kind of situation or even people who have been overtly racist towards me and realize they're just being who they are. And I don't hate them for it. I think to a certain level, everyone is doing the best they're able to in the moment. And that's not to say it's always good enough because clearly it's not. But I would liken it to this example I like to give that what if you were raised by a family of people who were racist in the community you lived in, racism was more common than acceptance? Or what if the church your family went to preached some form of discrimination and you were taught from the time you were a young child, this is the right way to think, this is the right way to be. And then someone came along at some point and said, well, no, that's wrong. You need, you need to change that because that's wrong. But it's all you've ever known. And when you go home and visit your family, it's reinforced that it is the right way and everyone else is wrong. And they're like, yeah, yeah, whatever. They get it. They get the point I'm making. But then I say to them, so what if it was the reverse? You're not racist. But what if someone came to you and said, well, things are different. As of today, things are different. Now, you need to be racist. You need to treat people differently than you've ever treated them. It's something you have to do to be accepted. Imagine how hard it would be for you to become racist against everything you believe in, against everything you know, against what's been ingrained in you since you were a young child. And however hard it would be for you to become racist, then imagine it's probably just as hard for someone else to do the reverse, which isn't to say that I condone racism or I think it's okay and that people don't need to change because it's too hard. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying I personally am able to draw up some compassion for them because whether someone was raised by other people who were racist or like my family went through a traumatic event that caused them to form a prejudice, to become that way, it had to be a pretty awful event. And I would always hope we would not give in to that, that base anger or fear, resentment that would cause us to become racist later in life. But it's a different way, I think, of looking at racism and being able to rise above it in your own way. And I think the way that my family did. So to close, I'd like to offer for your consideration 
like the man who told me he didn't believe he'd ever witnessed racism before, to maybe look at the world slightly differently moving forward and notice, even if you're being treated just fine when you walk into a business, is everybody else? And if they're not, even if it's something as simple as a greeter at the grocery store, only greeting certain people, you have maybe three choices. You can do nothing if that's what you choose to do. Or you could ask the greeter when the person has moved out of earshot, why didn't you greet that person? I noticed you greet everyone else, but you didn't greet that person. And just let them know that you witnessed it and you don't think it was right. The other thing you could do, and that I have done sometimes when I've noticed uh, someone be neglected in that way, is I greet them, even though I'm just another customer. When they walk in and, and a shop owner doesn't acknowledge them, I will. I'll say hi. And at least then they're seen. And it might even be noticed by the shopkeeper that you noticed. And that may not seem like much of anything, but really it's something. Because the easy thing is to say nothing when you see discrimination, not just racism, but any discrimination. And the more people who make it known that they noticed and they don't think it was right, the more it just makes the world a better place for everyone. Thank you for stopping by the Tiny Gummy Studio today to hear this podcast. Um, I'll be doing more in the future. I will probably do one about my dad's experience because it's, it's pretty incredible. And I never realized until after he passed away and I was able to read a book written by Lieutenant William Funches about their shared experience in this particular prison camp that I gained a full picture of really just the incredible courage and tenacity that my dad had to be able to survive what he went through and that I now draw upon when I have been faced with really difficult challenges in my life because I know if he had it, I've got a little bit of it in me too.